Good morning, everyone. It is, uh, it is a pleasure to be here with you and to especially be here with you, Dave, the birthday boy. Uh, you don't know this, but we are, this is your birthday surprise. Uh, yes, at 70 years old, you get to meet your long lost brother, Brian. We uh, obviously have a different mix of genes. He got the hair. I got the head. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. I uh, brought along reinforcements, my wife Vanessa, just in case I slip. She will, as she's used to for about 26 years, will pull me back to center. She knows that I'm often distracted. Uh, and so for 26 years, we, we celebrate our 26th anniversary uh, next week. Uh, yes. And uh, yes, she is significantly younger than I am. No, no, too soon? How about the title of the message? It is finished. For those of you, and I know there are at least a few of you who are already thinking about lunch, that's an exciting title, right? Um, but I think yeah, for the rest of us who are thinking about, well, what is this guy actually going to say? It is good news. And so let me pray that it is good news to all of you. And also, let me pray for lunch in advance. Father God, we thank you for uh, welcoming us on such an absolutely beautiful day. Uh, we, we thank you for this place and its history, uh, that it, it welcomes me and Vanessa and, and some of our colleagues from, uh, from Edge City. Uh, we thank you for the partnership in the gospel that you constantly amaze us with, that uh, when we least expect it, we get to meet our long lost brothers and sisters. May we be good news to them as they have been to us. And most of all, we pray that the good news of your gospel resonates today, that your Holy Spirit is alive and well and everyone knows it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I was introduced, uh, you know, you, I hear an introduction about things that, that are on my bio. And as I hear that stuff, I go, is that really me? I See, I still think of myself, and maybe some of you can relate to this, I still think of myself as 28-year-old Brian. Until I look in the mirror, you know, I shave and I say my father and I go, oh, you know, some of you can relate to that, but I'm still stuck in that mindset of a particular time and place. Uh, so as I'm writing this message and conceiving it, uh, I started to think of what would it be like if you and I were somehow at the time of Jesus saying the words that, that are captured here. And how would it stay with you, right? What would you remember every time you, you think about the cross? What part of that experience would stay with you? And I think for me, his words here would stay with me. It is finished. This idea that the gospel of Jesus Christ reaches to a, a critical conclusion at this point. Of course, we know that the gospel carries on. But this is a critical point in, in the life of Jesus, the, 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 the recorded maybe last words of Jesus, it is finished. So what does the it is finished mean? 
and what does that mean for us today as believers? So you don't see it there, but, but the, the title of the message is It Is Finished, but because I'm a scholar, I like using colons. We rarely ever use colons when we write or semicolons, but I wrote, It Is Finished, Now It's Time for the Christian Jubilee. So you expect me to talk about that today. So I live in New York. Uh, we've moved away from New York, moved back several times. We're back in New York now for about 10 years. And if you have never seen it, there is a clock called the National Debt Clock in New York. It's a billboard-sized display that displays the amount of debt that we are in as a nation. And occasionally, or for quite a long time, that debt keeps increasing. But very occasionally, it, it decreases. But the person who, uh, Seymour Durst is his name, who uh, conceived of it, thought you know, this would be a nonpartisan way uh, to think, get people thinking about intergenerational equity. He says, we're a family business. We think generationally. And we don't want to see the next generation crippled by this burden. But in fact, the way the national debt works is that it falls upon every citizen. So right now, it's $30 trillion, give or take a few billion, that averages out to about 92,000 per citizen. Not per adult, that's per citizen. So that lovely little baby that I think I was hearing earlier, which gave me such great, wonderful chills. We have three young people. Uh, well, they're 21, 22, and three, 23 now. But that person, once they are born, they are accounting, they, are, they, they account for $92 million. Did you know that? Good news, more good news. Well, that can be kind of jarring to you that that the moment you become a citizen of this, this great nation, you owe something, right? That you didn't, you didn't accumulate that debt. Nothing that you did accounts for why it is that you now owe this, except you are a part of a citizenry that has a history, and this is passed on to you. Now, it could be good news because your contribution to the nation helps to build it up. So you could look at it as good news or bad news, right? I'm born and I'm already in debt, or I have a responsibility, as it were. When Jesus said, it is finished, he actually was using an accounting term. Don't ask me to say it in Greek or Aramaic. I'm going to just give you a definition. Uh, the term means it is paid in full. It is a final judgment. It's declaration of a final judgment. So think about the beginning of Jesus' ministry, around 13 years old, walks into the temple, there's a scroll and reads a passage of scripture from Isaiah that says, I'm paraphrasing now, here I am, I come to preach good news to the poor and set the captives free. And then in the end, this idea of it is finished. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's the type of declaration that says, your debt is paid in full. So in order for someone to be able to say that and have it have real meaning, they have to have some authority. So I don't know about you, I have a ton of student loan debt, okay? 
the master's, the doctoral degree, it all added up, thanks to Eastern University, down the road. But I can account for that. It, it, there was an exchange, and I've, I've benefited from that. So I'm okay with, with that debt. But I'll be even more okay if somebody said to me, it is finished. That would be a... That would be a declaration of freedom and independence to me, right? I don't have this burden hanging over me anymore. Well, let's go back to the cross. This is what Jesus was saying. I paid the entire debt for everyone who is within the sound of my voice and everyone else, including that lovely young one. Jesus could only, was the only one that could make such a declaration. None but Jesus could say, it is finished. So before the arrest of Jesus by the, by the Romans, Jesus prayed his last public prayer, where he asked the Father to glorify him, even as he had glorified the Father. And here's what he prayed. Finish the work you've given me to do. This is in John 17. The work of Jesus was to seek and save what was lost and to provide atonement for sinners. And Jesus died to restore them to God. So atonement, another accounting term, right? It means the, the paying off of, right? So it, it is setting the scales in balance. That's another way of looking at it, right? So he atoned for, for our debt. So with all of that, as I get started with you in this message and I set up this introduction to this this idea that Jesus' declaration of it is finished is worthwhile for all of us, is freeing for all of us, and for those who come after us in Christ. What I'm really saying to you is that the finished work of Jesus is you. The finished work of Jesus is you. Because you couldn't be here as a believer in Christ if the debt of sin wasn't paid for you. You, then, are the finished work of Christ. And everyone who comes after you in Christ is that finished work in Christ. So, here's, the, here's more good news. You are in a debt-free grace period. I heard amens earlier, but I didn't get any. And I'm wondering if I just... Let me start over. You are in a debt-free grace period. If you haven't had student loans, you may not know what I'm talking about and why it's an amen thing. But what about your mortgage? If somebody came along and said, ah, I'll, I'll take care of your mortgage. Would you amen then? Maybe. Some of us are long past that. Well, Brian, this isn't resonating with me. My house is already paid off. But how about if somebody came and said, I know your house is already paid off, but I'll pay off the student loan debt and the house debt for your children. Would you amen then? I'm getting you. And your grandchildren. And every generation to follow you in Christ. I pay off the debt for that neighbor that you've been reaching out to and sharing your faith with because you've been reaching out to that person and sharing your faith with it, and now they believe in Christ. 
Would you amen them? That's what we're in. We are in a debt-free grace period. And that concept comes from long before Jesus' time and our time. That concept is captured in the idea of jubilee. The jubilee was a period that only could be declared by a king. It was a period of collective forgiveness of all debt. They would set the slaves free. It had its origins in the Near East. It was a secular practice that then was adopted into biblical practice. It was a 50-year period. So you would, if you were a slave, for example, you were under a relationship to a, a saved master or a family, but you'd be looking forward to the Jubilee period because when that Jubilee period comes, you would be set free. If you were in debt, and the way debt really worked for many families back then is that if you owed something, and usually it was agricultural, then you might have to work a period of land. Your family moved and lived on that period of land. It, it took care of their, their livelihood. It fed them. It fed you. But most of that went to the person you owed debt to. But when the Jubilee period came, guess what? You no longer were obligated in that way. And you would probably say, amen. So to the people of Jesus' time, this idea of Jubilee was refreshing, right? It was good news. It was good news to them. The idea that Jesus then would say, it is finished, it is paid off. To those of us who got it, well, it was the good news we'd been waiting for. So, Jesus declaring it was finished also was saying that he was the fulfillment of all the prophecies that said that he would come and take care of all of that debt. All of the prophecies that said that God would send his son to be the debt payoff. Because there was only one way that this debt of sin could be paid off and, and everybody knew that in this, in this context, that the only way you could pay for your sins was something had to die. So they had this, the, uh, the understanding of sacrifice for sin in their cultural context. So it was a lamb, or goat, or whatever they would sacrifice. But that's where we get the terms around Jesus, that he is the Lamb of God, the ultimate sacrifice to do what? To pay the debt and usher in the eternal grace period for those who would believe. So today I'm going to share with you more of the benefits. That's what I'm here to do. I'm here to bring good news. I'm going to share with you more of the benefits we receive in the Christian Jubilee. So here's the first one. You can call it a point if you want. But uh, I will just say that this first benefit is, is one that resonates for me uh, most, is that in this new grace period, we have been reconciled to God. Another accounting term, by the way, this idea of reconciliation. So if you don't uh, mind, either you can see it up on the screen or you can turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans 5, 6 to 11. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. For a while we were still helpless. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. 
but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Okay, here's the good news. Another accounting term, we have been reconciled. The idea of reconciliation, think of if there are any accounting persons in or professionals in the room, you understand this idea that if there is an imbalance in your accounting, there has to be balance. So think about it this way. We were in an imbalanced state with God. Sin set humanity out of the balanced state that God intended for human beings to be in a relationship with him. And that kept accruing through generations and generations, we kept going further and further and further away from what God had intended in relationship with us. Make sense? So the Bible says, at just the right time, Jesus came and he laid down his life so that we can be reconciled or in balance with God again. That's one of the great benefits that comes with this incredible period of grace that we're in. In this period of grace, we get to celebrate a lot of wonderful words that all begin with R-E. So the prefix R-E means to do something again or make something anew. So when you put R-E just in front of almost every word, it's actually good news. So like restitution. The idea of paying restitution. What, is that? what does that mean? Almost the same thing as we've been talking about, right? That somebody may have committed a wrong, but there is a price that they can pay so that that wrong can be taken off of the books, so to speak. So somebody commits a, critical, a criminal act, they may have to pay restitution. And sometimes it's a fee greater than they themselves can pay. So good news to them would be someone coming along saying, you know what, I'll pay the penalty for that. The good news for them that it, there's no record of that wrong anymore. So that RE word is a good word for us. Restoration is another RE word we see in the Bible that relates to us, good news to us. The idea of restoration is that something that once was, but now has departed from what it was intended, was somehow, well, I can't get away from another R-E word, returned <laughs> to its former intended state. So, I am guilty of watching HDTV. A lot. Uh, and it's her fault. <laughs> and so sometimes we used to watch it together, and the idea of restoring furniture I started to get drawn to this idea that you can take a piece of furniture that was hundreds of years old in some cases, right? Or, you know, after 50 years, <laughs> furniture can be pretty beat up, especially if you, have, if you have kids in the house. But you can restore it to what it was originally intended to look like. 
So my wife bought this, 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 well, before she bought it, she told me about this rocker. And I was thinking, well, our days for needing a rocker are long gone. The girls are in their 20s. But she loved this rocker and tried to describe this rocker to me. And all I kept thinking was like the rocker that we had when the kids, I couldn't relate. So she, brought the, <laughs> she bought the rocker. And can I tell you, she's not listening. It was really ugly. Ugly rocker. Okay, thank you, baby. But she had a vision for it. And it had uh, this carpetbagger type of fabric. And she says, you know what, Brian, it has good bones. It was mid-century mid modern type furniture, which she loves and you see in my home. And so she took it to someone and they put a new fabric in it and the thing came to life. And I thought, wow, I don't know if this is what the, the original creator of this very unique rocker, we should have had a picture of it, uh, intended, but I think they would be proud. I think it, it, it looks to me like what that person intended. It's, it looks new to me. And I think to myself, is that what God sees when he sees you and I, when we become believers in Christ? Is there a way that God who sees everything can, can all of a sudden look at me, filthy sinner, in need of rest, rest, restoration, <laughs> reconciliation, all of those words, in need of R-E, and literally see me differently? Well, that's a question. Here's another question. Do you believe that God can view you differently? Because some of us, even though we're believers, that concept of us being reconciled to God is foreign to us. Maybe it's not been preached enough. Maybe it's not been preached enough in depth. Or maybe we haven't studied it enough. But this R-E word, reconciliation, is an idea where God says, I get that you're broken from me. I get that you are marred furniture, so to speak. That you've lived a life in such a way that you don't look like I intended you to look. But, 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 but let me solve that problem. Oh, by the way, I've solved that problem 2,000 years ago for you. And that is I'm going to send Jesus, the ultimate restorer of souls. And that's going to pay off in your life today. Do we get that today, church? Because that is the good news, is that we have been reconciled to God. We've been restored to God. God has paid our restitution. And we are back in a friendly relationship with God because we are believers. That is the good news. That is why it is finished is good news to us. Another, another benefit of it is finished, another benefit is that we were given a ministry. We were given a ministry of reconciliation. Yeah, we are ministers of reconciliation. If you look in the book of John, John 14, again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. So I'm going to read from John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is the words of Jesus, truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I'm going to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, 
so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, for many of us, that is good news, especially when you read the latter part, right? So if you read just 13 and 14, that, you know, I remember reading this as a, a, as a teenager, as my mom, who was a believer, was, was trying to convince me that following Jesus was the way to go, like so many of you, you know, as your parent. And, and occasionally, she would drop this in there. And Brian, here's some benefit of following Jesus. If you ask him anything in his name, he will do it. But unfortunately, I got a bit of a misrepresentation of what this scripture meant. So could you imagine all the things that you might have wanted as a teenager if you could just ask Jesus for that? You'd be a follower, wouldn't you? I mean, think about it. It's like, Jesus? Of course, we didn't have um, PS5 then. But if we had PS5, and some of you are going, what is PS5? Well, you're probably around my age. But PlayStation 5. Uh, back when I was that age, it was Atari. Yeah, <laughs> space invaders and all that stuff. Lord, okay, let me test this. I want an Atari. And of course, I didn't get the Atari. So let me try it again. Lord, I want a puppy. I wanted a puppy. I did get that. I got Julius. Julius was, was a gift from God. I knew that. But there were so many other requests that I just didn't get, and I thought, okay, man, this is just a crapshoot so to speak. Ah, you know, you roll the dice and maybe God will, ah, and then all of a sudden I, I couldn't find faith in the material things anyway, so there you go. But then I, I got a different read on this when I understood what Jesus did on the cross. When I understood that Jesus literally laid down his life because he was the only one who could do that so that I can have a relationship with God. And this wasn't about stuff, this was about relationship. When I got that, and I thought, okay, I can follow God even if I don't get the things that I want. Because what this scripture is about, it's not about the things that I want. It is about me being in a relationship with God in such a way that I become a minister of his gospel to other people. So if you read it again, it reads a little differently. Because if you start from 12, truly, truly, you know, it's a double truly, maybe it's actually telling the truth. The one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. In fact, you will do greater things in this ministry of reconciliation. Well, what does this ministry look like? What does this ministry of reconciliation look like, and what is the good news? You, why is it good news? If you look in two places, I'm going to be very quick here. If you look in Ephesians, and you can take a note of it and come back to it. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. So, okay, Brian, you've made your point that there is work for us to do, and that work is good news. But where does that work translate into a work of reconciliation? Go to 2 Corinthians 5, and we'll go from 17 to 19. And I'll read quickly. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, this person's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, 
gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their wrongdoings against them, and he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Committed it to us. So we get reconciled to him, we get put into balanced relationship with him, and he trusts us now to do greater things with the same word. That's good news, isn't it? So where are we now? We are now in a time of a debt-free, grace-filled life. But how do we feel about that? Sundays are a day where I tend to feel greatest about that. But by Tuesday, I'm thinking, ah, this doesn't feel that free. You know, at the end of the month, ah, this didn't feel that free. When I have to do something at work that I really don't want to do, this didn't feel that free. When I have to talk to somebody I really don't want to talk to, I tell people there's a curse in introversion. When I really want to talk to somebody, I have to. It's compelling. I must speak to you. And I don't have the energy to speak to someone, it is a heavy burden. And that doesn't feel that free to me. And there are other things that make us not feel debt free. There are other things that make us feel like following Jesus is a burden rather than a burden lifter. Are you with me here? And so if I get a chance to speak to you like I do today, wouldn't it be good news to remind you and you remind me that we are living in the Jubilee? This is the Jubilee. This is the Jubilee. It doesn't get any better than this church. Now, there are still some things we want. Not a P PS5 necessarily. There's still requests that we can take to God for our own personal edification, because he's that kind of God. There's some personal things that you may be longing for, and he is that kind of God, and he wants to bless you personally, because this is a relationship thing. This is not a genie in the bottle thing. This is a relationship thing. And some of you can relate to that. There are things in your life that may not be valuable to someone else, but they are valuable to you, and you know that came from God, right? Like the chair, like, like my wife's rocker. So I sat in the rocker. Big guy to sit in the rocker, I get it. Could have gone really bad. But it supported me well, and it was very, very, it was very comfortable. Luckily, I have my own chair, and the rocker is in the place where, in the living room where I don't like that angle towards the TV. So I don't spend much time in the rocker. But I tell you something, when I see Vanessa look at that rocker, I know that's personal to her. And, you know, she might even think, you know, that was a gift from God, and that's okay with God, too. So thank you for having me here. Thank you for having me bring good news to you. But let me leave you with a question. How's your ministry of reconciliation? How is your ministry of reconciliation? Are you today in a place where you're feeling reconciled to God? Or are there things that have crept into your life that may have robbed you of the joy of being restored to God? It's not an arbitrary question. If you live long enough in Christ, there are always going to be things that step in to make you go, ah, I don't feel so close to the Lord. And you have an enemy whose business it is to break that bond.
He is the anti-RE. Satan's job is to convince you that RE is not a suitable prefix. That God is not about restoration. He's punitive. That you're out of balance with God. That thing you did, that thought that you had, that, that raised voice, that lie, whatever it is, you just broke the covenant between you and God. Satan's job is to do that. And if, as I know him, he has been pretty effective at times with me, then maybe he's been effective with you. So here's the good news. That is a lie from Satan. Because that grace period is yours for eternity. That reconciliation is yours for eternity. I have another question for you. Who are you helping to be reconciled to God? Who needs a debt-free grace period in your life? Who around you needs that? When, I, when I'm asked that question, it's pretty convicting because I can tell you there are a lot of people are, around me who are not believers. I've been in higher education for a long time. Whatever industry you're in, wherever you work and you are a believer in a ministry being there, you recognize the effect of the debt on other people's lives. But sometimes we lose sight of our commitment to their own RE, to their own reconciliation, to their own restoration. Right? Am I okay here? I've been watching the clock, but I really enjoy preaching, so, you know, we could. <laughs> Was it good news? I hope it is. I hope it is. And I hope in the life of Grace Chapel that we get to celebrate more reconciliation, that more of us take up the mantle of this ministry. It's not just the job of the people who have titles. Titles mean nothing. It doesn't give us any more of a relationship with God than you. We all share the same title. Before God, we are all sons and daughters, given this ministry of reconciliation. Can we pray together? Father God, we thank you so much that Jesus declared on the cross that it is finished. Once and for all, one death, one Christ, one faith, one baptism, one kingdom, one God. And we thank you that that one includes us. We pray, God, wherever there's an RE need today that you will meet it. Because you said that you would. Anything we pray in your name, you will provide it. Where there's a need for reconciliation, either between us and God or between us and someone else, we pray that you will stimulate that today in the hearts of those who need to be reconciled. We pray, God, for those who need to be reconciled with themselves. We pray for those who, who feel broken inside and, and split apart for whatever reason. We pray, God, that you will put us back together because only you can do that. We pray, God, today for grace, the grace 
that you have poured out on us on the cross, you said, is an eternal grace. That means it's still being poured out upon us. Pray the blood, blood of Jesus Christ, Christ cleanses us, continues to clean us of all sin, all residue of sin. God, we pray for restoration. For those of us who think that we have been worn out and too old and, 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 and that our period is done, and that, uh, that we're out of fashion, we, God, we pray that you will refashion us today. That you will restore us, wipe off the dust. If we need to be reupholstered, let us get reupholstered today, God. Because you know, we, know, we know that the work of your ministry is not done. It is not finished until the day that your son comes again. We beg your mercy. Thank you for your kindness and commit ourselves to the cross. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.